Welcome to NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with your host, D. Klein. Did you know that one of crypto's best use cases is also a tax-saving strategy? I'm talking about donating crypto to your favorite charity. The Giving Block makes it easy for the crypto community to support important causes with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and dozens of other cryptos. Choose from over 1,200 vetted nonprofit organizations, donate any amount, and then hold on to your tax receipt. When it's tax time, you could save big. Your donation could offset some or most of what you owe on that huge capital gains line. Make smart money moves while making a difference. To learn more, visit thegivingblock.com NFP. That's thegivingblock.com NFP. And let's show the world that crypto is good. Hey, this is NFP, the non-fungible podcast with me, D. Klein. Today's episode is brought to you by the Koi Network. Koi makes minting NFTs super easy and inexpensive. Just drag and drop your file using their NFT wallet, Finny, and Koi takes care of the rest. Minting costs as little as one cent, so you can create as many NFTs as you want. And when they're viewed by other people, you even earn Koi tokens that you can use to fund your next series. Check it out at koii.network. Jason Michael Primrose, author, someone that I've seen in the space in the last little while. You're a creator of the Lost Children of Andromeda series. Latest book out is 2050Z. And you've got a whole interesting kind of NFT collection happening now that's on its way very soon, from what I can tell. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it was really nice to meet you on Spaces. Uh, I thought yeah, that for sure. was really interesting and really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I, now that was what? It feels like forever ago. The market has changed so much since then. Like, I mean, I yeah. That was three weeks ago, but it's like been such a crazy time. Yeah, it was definitely. Um, I think it was the last week of May. It okay. was the last week of May, which is, I know, I can't believe that how much has changed since then. It is crazy. I know it's a cliche to say it changed. Everything goes faster, but in this particular case, it really is like years have passed since. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. You know, when I think of you and I look at your work, the word that first comes to mind for me is inclusion. And I know you've talked about that. Can you share with me why that's so important to you? I mean, to me, it feels natural. Like it's it's this is the world we live in and these are the people that represent the world we live in. So to casually exclude, you know, certain groups or certain types of people um, or not allow them to have like equity in, um, in, in these different spaces, it's just, this doesn't make sense. Um, when I think about inclusion, I think about storytelling and uh, how they both work together. So, when we think about some of the most powerful stories that have existed in, in our time, right? Um, whether it be through literature, through film, television, um, you look at them and then you look at who's representing those stories, right? And these are these are these are narratives that penetrate like globally. And how many of them are representative of of all the types of people that exist in the world? And so I see storytelling as a medium to bring inclusion forward, but then it also inspires inclusion because 
people see themselves and then other people who maybe are already represented see see people in a different way um so that's why it's so important to me because i realized that you know part of the reason that i had taken so long to start writing books was because i didn't really see a lot of people that look like me doing it and mm. i didn't really see myself in the stories that i was reading even though i loved you know authors like neil gaiman and um and uh you know gregory mcguire and it, there was a number um james s a corsi uh who wrote uh, the expanse and you know barring you know o octavia butler and and uh, nk jemison and, and and some of the newer rising stars like tommy adeyemi in the literature space it's not like a lot and they and they were mostly fantasy but uh besides uh, octavia was sci-fi but we were talking like one three five ten people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who you know patron and and read and with 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 a genre that big and that you know that large and then across all these different uh platforms and mediums so yeah i just thought um you know this series could be the like one of one of many like hundreds maybe thousands that would reshape what inclusion looked like in storytelling and also in meaning those who are telling the stories and also in the stories themselves. Hmm. Interesting. So you say that, you know, you didn't really see those examples for yourself when you were a kid. So what then drove you to write them? Were there people in your own personal life that kind of spurred that forward? Or how was it that you did come to a point where like, no, I can do this. I can uh, be a writer. I think, I, I don't think I chose, I just wrote stuff. Like the, the series that I'm writing now it just flows out of me. So mm -hmm. I was reading, I was being really inspired by books and then I was being inspired to write my own stories. So um, I guess I didn't ask for permission or I wasn't looking for permission. I was just like writing whenever the ideas would come to me until completion. And then after that, it was kind of like, okay, I don't know what to do with this now. I'll do another one, you know, and then what happens next in the story and then which characters are involved in that whole thing. So um, I really loved reading and I really loved writing just for the sake of it. I didn't mm -hmm. understand in that age, I started writing this series when I was technically nine, but really 13 was when I started writing the novel versions oh, wow. okay. of them. Mm -hmm. So at that point I wasn't, I wasn't conscious of representation or, you know, I was reading really awesome books and being like, oh, I want to make my own version of that. Um, to the point where I don't even think I was very conscious of including myself in the stories I was writing, you know, hmm. um, that didn't come until much later, like recently, basically. So can you break down for listeners, you know, the Lost Children of Andromeda, like break this down for us in terms of what the setting would be, what the, you know, what kind of storyline we're looking at here? Yeah, so 215 days until the end of the world, and mm -hmm. Alistair Adams, who's the main character, uh, must master his potential to save humanity. And uh, it's kind of this backdrop of, a, of an approaching apocalypse, and inside of it are all of, there's evolutionary characters, we don't quite know where they come from or how they got their abilities, and we learn about that. There's warring factions that are looking for the same types of technology to help stop the apocalypse. Um, there's kind of politics and overtones, undertones in there as well. Um, and then just like the general human experience of like knowing what to do with your power. Mm -hmm. 
if you're going to use it, if you do use it, what's it for, you know, how much of it is it, how much is too much. Um, and then, uh, and then from inclusion perspective, it's representative and I wanted to be as representative of like the types of people that exist in the world as possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you manage that element of it? Like, is it something where, cause you did speak about letting it flow. Is that just something that just comes naturally to you or are you more deliberate about that element? I study people a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. The story is multi-character POV, um, which is why the NFT project part of it is interesting too. Okay. Uh, because each character does have their own journey. I was very intentional about that. Um, and so you can kind of follow along with different people and, you know, pick favorites and be like, oh, I like this person's narrative and I like, you know, kind of what they, what they experience, what they do. Um, yeah. So that to me is the inclusion part. It's like giving you a window into that person's experience and like doing the best justice to that mm -hmm. as I can. Now, when I, I think about this, you know, as a writer, you know, I don't really write fiction at all. I'm, I'm a writer with, uh, more journalistic um, type material, like I write for Cointelegraph, for example. Um, and that's very, very different kind of writing. Yet at the same time, when I write, I often kind of envision like my entire um, storyline on a larger scale. <laughs> and then I kind of work on the elements inside. I'm curious, like when you're writing this fiction, have you already kind of got the overarching themes figured out or are, or are you kind of just seeing where it takes you as you write? Yeah, I have, I mean, I, I know what happens at the end. I mm -hmm. don't know exactly how we get there, but there's like a few right. things. I'm like, okay, this book is going to be this, this book's going to be this, this book's going to be this. Right. Um, so yeah, I have to have an idea of where I'm going, uh, mm -hmm. like some idea of where I'm going, but the paths change within, like even, even because it's micro and then macro, right? So within the book, I know I want to get to this end, but then sometimes the roads change for the right. characters of how they get there. And then the bigger story is the same. It's like, we're going to get there, but is it 10 books? Curious. Is it how seven? You... Is it eight? Sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, I was just going to say, yeah. is it, is it, is it 10 books? Is it seven? Is it eight? You know, I don't really know. Is it 12? Is there, are there offshoots? You know, can you share there? maybe a moment where you had like a brilliant idea and it just like transformed the story for you? Like where it was like, oh, that's going to work so well compared to maybe you were facing a problem with resolving something or can you think of a time? Yeah. Well, I got a lot of help from editors, I would say, that mm -hmm. helped reshape that. Um, so there were two major things I was struggling with. Uh, one of them was the... The magical system this, of the world this could be a spoiler alert. I don't know. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> one was the magical system of the world, um, and then how the how the magical system integrated with this technology they're looking for. And the first editor that I had gave me some feedback about how there were these two ideas that didn't connect, and that made okay. the story disjointed. And he was like, "How mm -hmm. can you find a way to blend them?" So of course, the first at first I was like pissed off because so I was like, "I don't know what the what are you talking <laughs> about? I don't know what's jointed at all." Yeah, they make so much sense. Oh, <laughs> just follow both of the paths. Um, but I found a way to mix them. I found a way to right. blend them together that made the story, I believe, more cohesive, somewhat more cohesive. Um, and then the other thing, which was really interesting, well, which I wasn't really no didn't know I was struggling with it, but uh, was the designation of the characters. So I was calling them superhumans before, 
which isn't very interesting or unique or different. And I had an editor, a second editor, say that like that, like that, uh, that terminology wouldn't work in fiction literature. They were like, it's a, it's like going to turn people off immediately if you don't make up something for them that is unique to this world. Right. So then, so then I, I found evolutionaries was the name of like these these beings um, with untapped genetic potential. So those were two things, and that to me, the evolutionaries piece and the potential, like they don't, they're not called powers in the story; they're called potentials. They mm. all that that made the that basically made it its own thing. It, just that alone was was a huge. Right, it's it's taking yourself into the world as opposed to looking at it from the outside, in a sense. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. very interesting. And so you mentioned the NFT side, you know, and the point of view elements of that. So let's talk about that a little bit. How how do you see that um, rolling out? Well, with the NFTs, you know, you can um, earn characters that you can bring to life mm -hmm. in your own way, and so it's interesting because there's all this stuff happening in the world. It's kind of like a, like a fictional playground and you can take, you can make up your own events. You can take whatever events are happening and like, what is your character doing during this moment? Or how is your character preparing for the end? Or who are they allied with? Or what artifacts have they found? Or what do they know about, you know, the aliens that are, you know, kind of lurking, you know? So um, it's this, this, this opportunity to democratize, is that the word? Maybe decentralized since we're talking about NFTs. Decentralized <laughs> no, storytelling the makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> um, decentralized storytelling, decentralized mm. franchise building with um, this like army of storytellers bringing these characters to life um, through short stories, through you know maybe animation, through art, uh, through comics, through novels, things like that. Um, so that's that was the big vision for that's the big vision for the project. Um, and then having those stories cross over into the main story at times is like kind of a fun, a fun bonus. So is that something where you would kind of borrow from what people create and kind of incorporate that into your lore? Is that the idea? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like maybe a character crosses over with the main characters or something. Oh, very Some interesting. Some kind of event. Yeah. So people who are owning these NFTs, they can kind of create their own sort of like a fan fiction type of thing. Then is that what you're saying? Well, they can do whatever. I mean, they they can they can write and sell stories. They can make merchandise. They can they can do anything with their character oh, wow. if they want okay. to. Yeah. Interesting. And then you just get to kind of peruse that and go, "Hey, this looks really cool." And then maybe you tie that in somewhere. Well, we want the community to decide. Like, like. Oh, okay. The community gets to decide. Like, okay, so we do we do a series of stories, and then we say, "Oh, let's put together an anthology of like." all the characters from this faction or something like that. And mm, we come mm -hmm. put that together and um, distribute that. Uh, and then of those people, we say, who do, whose stories do we want to appear in the main lore? Okay. And then that character would get, you know, this kind of walk on role, possibly minor character role. Um, or, Interesting. Or, or cameo. Yeah. So is that via like a DAO or is it just more organic, like via Discord type stuff or how is that? Yeah, we, we're still working out the gamification mechanics, okay. um, but I would imagine it will be, a, it will be its own platform, I would mm -hmm. say, like its own, its own content platform. Yeah. Interesting. Wild. So when I look at your roadmap, of course you had the Kickstarter and then in May, 
you had these uh, lost children of Andromeda, Genesis 2050Z. Is that the correct pronunciation? Mm -hmm. Or is it 2052 passports? Oh, the 2052 passports. Those are right. Yeah. And so can you explain what that step in the roadmap allowed people to do? Yeah, the, so the passport was really interesting. And again, we, we can talk about the the market and the mechanics too, because sure. we created the passport as this really exciting mid-pass where if you had one, you were guaranteed to mint the first item, which is a sync, which is this piece of technology. And mm -hmm. people earned the sync through the Discord, through choose your own adventure games and creative games and scavenger hunts and things like that. And then people could go and mint those. It has your wallet address on the back. It has your ENS on the back. If you have one of those linked. And then in the metadata, you would continue to accumulate information about as you got more NFTs, the information would sync up, no okay. pun intended. And then it would add, and then in the, 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 the question marks would fill in with like your sync ID or your sanctuary location or like those different types oh, of wild. things. Oh, wild. Okay. Um, so I would have taken some development. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we because it was a free claim, we had a lot of uh, we have a lot of flexibility okay. in the and what we can add and uh, to the metadata and stuff like that. But the complexity in making sure that the wallet address could show up and then when it transferred within the new person would show up, we had to do some work behind the scenes on that as well. For sure. Um, yeah. And then so the mint pass was meant to be that. And then we were to launch the collection at a fixed price with a private sale and a public sale. Mm -hmm. And that didn't work. <laughs> oh, explain. Uh, it didn't work. Um, there were a number of things. We kept gaining momentum. The market kept crashing. Oh, yeah. So kept gaining momentum, market kept crashing. Uh, and then the last time, um, the market crashed so badly mm -hmm. that the price that we'd set forth was not agreeable to the community or the market. Right. So we had a miserable number of mints, I would say. Like, I'm very grateful for the fact that anyone was like, yes, I want in. I'm in, I feel this. Of course. But in the long run, we, we weren't close. We weren't even we weren't even close to anything that would have sustained or kept the business going. Sure. So uh, in the middle of that, we were like two days in, three days in, we found this new CRA function um, and one of the Dow investors was speaking to another DAO member who worked on this technology and built this smart contract and was like, oh, this is how it works. Not, not been, not a lot. No one's used it. If, mm -hmm. if, if, and if they have, maybe not like widely, it's not public. Um, and this is how it works. So he basically came, he says, okay, we got to cancel the contract, refund everybody. And then we, oh, leave, wow. You refunded everybody. Wow. So we we have not refunded everyone yet. We still need to, but the money is okay. still in the contract. Like it's not been extracted from the contract yet. I see. Um, so we stopped the mint, and then we're redeploying the mint um, on Saturday with a CRA function. Everyone who bought a sync before will get airdropped a sync uh, from I this see. collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'll still get to keep their other token. Um, so yeah, so that that was really wild because. We'd worked for six months. We built this whole thing. We had a community. It was growing. People were excited. And it, it just like, it just like kept, it's like being like, um, like a, like a balloon deflating, you know? Totally. Like, oh, yeah. you're about to float and then all the air gone. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know what to do with it. Um, 
kind of with what was happening and the uncertainty around it. I still don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm still I'm still not sure. I mean, Ethereum is back above a thousand, but it hit nine hundred dollars yeah. yesterday, yes. and I was like. Well, and when you're selling something at, say, 0.05 ETH, and that was originally, say, a couple hundred bucks, and now it's, what is it, 40 bucks? Something yeah. like that, right? Like, yeah. you know, that that hurts, right? Like, if you're trying to make it sustainable, yeah. But I, but I think that, um, you know, we made Sync exclusive, mm -hmm. meaning it, there's not a, a large uh, collection number, but maybe... Maybe we need to look at communities and drop sizes of twenty five thousand and you know, or fifty thousand mm. and we're looking at larger communities of holders um that are paying less. Uh because some of those prices, I mean, I I've done a few mints and the the prices I paid and the gas and oh my God. It's insane. <laughs> well, like, let's talk about CRA a little more because that tries to attack that problem, right? Like if you look at yeah. other side launch and how how many hundreds of million, what was a hundred million dollars worth of yeah, ETH were just burned, yeah. just yeah. for gas, you know? Or what, how much was it? Six hundred million? I, I thought it was one hundred and fifty, but I okay, I, I that sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and that's just crazy, right? And so my impression is CRA, as opposed to being like a Dutch auction where it just starts high and kind of comes lower. CRA actually responds to the market and can move up or down based on demand? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I just want to touch on the fact that, like, the idea of at when, when did Other Side launch? Hmm. Probably, I'm guessing, about two months ago. Yeah, okay. Like early May, maybe? Early Late May. April. Oh, yeah, early May. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. I remember. Okay. Um, so the idea that at, at during this time of, like, such volatility... 150 yep. million dollars of liquidity gone mm -hmm. we like we needed it we needed it right like we, we need it right now and it's just where is it um so i i just thought that was crazy uh but the cra function is um is is algorithmic uh in its design so um it's based on the duration of the auction mm -hmm. and the increments of time where the price changes so right um it's like 15 minute increments or something like that it's 15 minutes correct? but it, yeah, yeah it's it's going to be based on how many minutes you want in a particular given step which is the increment mm -hmm. of time and uh and then the total duration so ours is set at 11 hours 15 minute increments um and so that allows us for like 20 something minutes within a certain time frame, And if it goes above that, the price will go up. And if it goes below that, the price will go down. And if the if it stays the same, the price will stay the same. Right, essentially it starts at zero. So it's just being, paying gas and then you kind of see where it goes, right? Yeah, exactly. And we decided to start at zero to accommodate the free mint meta that's happening right now. Quick break here for the giving block. In the past year, the number of nonprofits accepting cryptocurrency donations increased tenfold on the Giving Block. Since 2018, the Giving Block has been making it easy for nonprofits to modernize their fundraising by accepting crypto donations. Organizations of all sizes can sign up and get started in no time. Nonprofits are saying that crypto is the future of fundraising. Find out why at thegivingblock.com slash NFP. That's thegivingblock.com slash NFP.
Hey, in cooperation with the Koi Network, I am presenting Atomic Zombies by D. Klein. You can find these at atomiczombies.io. We've got 10,000 zombies that will eventually be available, each with their own set of random generative characteristics. You can watch your zombies' characteristics unlock, emerge, and evolve as they receive more attention online powered by the Koi Network and proof of real traffic. Check it out at atomiczombies.io. Yeah, that's interesting, right? When you look at something like Goblin Town and how, you know, just started as free mint and just went bonkers, right? Yeah. And then every, I mean, there are plenty of projects. I was looking at, I think it's called I, um, someone tweeted about it that I follow and it's really beautiful. I think it's called mm. Ison. Is it called Ison? Okay. I, I'm not sure. Um, it's a new one for me. How would you spell it? Uh, it's spelled with a. It's spelled with an e. It's e y. Like the word i. Yeah. Let me see if I can. Pranksy tweeted about it. Okay. It was Pranksy that tweeted about it. Um, and the project itself. It's loading. Um, it's called Icon. EY3K0N. And it's brought to you. You can't just use regular letters. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> and so and so I'm pretty sure that team was like really reputable. They came from Marvel. The art is amazing. And they hadn't minted out. They had not mm. minted out um, as of the last time I checked. So they're sold out now, it says on Twitter. Oh, that's good. Okay. Okay. So it took them about it took them about uh, three weeks, maybe two to two, two or three okay. weeks, maybe a month. Um, but it's worth it. I mean, the the, the collection's amazing. They have great um, volume now, three hundred fifty three ETH trading volume. That's pretty oh, wow. amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. So it's done well. Um, beautiful. You're yes. right though about the being beautiful. Wow. It's stunning. Um, so yeah. So with, with the CRA function. Uh, you know, the point of it was to say, you decide how much you want it to be. We'll determine these price increments and right. based on how many people come in, you know, that will determine what the price will be. And then in terms of the gas, we talked about this in Twitter space the other day. It's that, uh, I, I, I think how they explained it was, was that when you when you see the price adjustments you may not be as quick to jump in because of the fact that like it's not a fixed price and it's not a dutch right. auction so not a ton of people waiting to the end not a ton of people you know kind of doing at the beginning there may be a rush in the beginning but i still don't think i still don't think that it would cause a gas war um Especially well, because it's a, there's a fixed amount every 15 minutes, right? So you can't really have much of a gas war breakout then. Is that accurate? Well, you can know the fixed amount is the the th the measurement for the threshold. So if it's like okay. 20, for example, you could mint more than 20. Okay, um, I see. Yeah. So um, I'm interested to see actually how it works at the beginning because we are starting at zero. And mm -hmm. their original, the original uh, test that they did did not account for a starting price of zero. <laughs> they did not account for a okay. price of zero. 
So we'll so see. You, you could have some high traffic at the beginning because people are going to want to get in while it's while it's free. While it's free, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that absolutely. makes sense though because then from there, once you've got things rolling, then the price creeps up and yeah, it kind of responds to the market as opposed to this crazy situation where people are spending tons of gas just trying to snag an NFT. Many people never even like with that other side situation. Many people never even got an NFT. They just burnt hundreds of dollars oh, in gas right, and right. got nothing right right absolutely yeah i i don't believe that we'll have that um and then in terms of like when the price goes up then that's when you start to see the gas calm down that's how right. it controls the that's that, that, that's a controlling mechanism yeah okay like, okay so we'll this, this is a fairly new mechanism though right like i i haven't seen it before i was reading about you and reading about uh lcoa i had not seen this uh cra mechanism yeah, to my knowledge, it's never been deployed before. So we would be oh really? We would be okay. the first. Yeah, and they well, just that'll developed be really it. interesting to see how that happens. That's June twenty fifth, correct? Yeah, and it's it's a little bit gamified. So the terminal um, when you go to Mint Sync. Uh -huh. So I'll tell you a little bit about Sync. So Sync sure. is the essential technology of the world. If you when you read the novel, you know everyone has a Sync device, and that's how they get information about like how to stay safe. It keeps their personal information, all their all their digital currencies they, there's mm -hmm. only one but their digital currency it's all inside sync if you want to talk you say sync uh tell me blah blah blah. contextual it's kind of it's kind of like sassy a little bit as okay. as an ai um and different characters have different relationships with 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 it um and so uh so sync is the gateway right it's the access to the world and so when you get a sync you basically get everything you need for this journey that we're talking about, the storytelling journey. Whether you use it or not is up to you, but you get a sync, you get a character, and you mm -hmm. get your first set of artifacts to like kind of get you going on the storytelling route. And like, okay, you have these things, you have a drone mm -hmm. and you have a hoverboard and you have you know, this evolutionary of this type, and then you have this sync of this type. Um, so it really, it really gets you off to the races. Um, so, uh, Sync was invented by a scientist in uh, in 2030, mm -hmm. and so to mint Sync, you actually go to the scientist lab and um, to experience, you know, the the walkthrough. And so in the terminal, you have all the parameters of the auction, like front and center, as you're navigating this. Um, it's kind of like c computer experience back and forth, kind of like Oregon Trail ish but okay. without pictures where you're getting yep. text and then doing things yeah yeah so, so super... go ahead sorry i was just gonna say it's a little nostalgic yeah it's i was just looking at it here on the other monitor where it says june 22 get synced right and so that you would go to lostchildren.xyz to to go ahead and do this minting process is that where it would happen uh you can access it from there but it's sync.lostchildren.xyz Okay. C-Y-N-Q-U-E, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting looking at the roadmap because then following that, you have get synced on June 2022. And then the next step is says connect to your heritage. And that's not coming up much later. It's in July. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about what are the plans for that? So the, so this is a bit of a spoiler, but I, I, I kind of oh. introduce, introduce the concept in this narrative because it was important. So all there's eight different evolutionary types and they're all descendants of 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 civilizations in the andromeda galaxy so 
the next NFT that we drop is called a file and it has your alien genetics inside of it. Mm. Um, you don't know which one you have. You don't know which civilization you're descended from. But when we go to do the mint, when we go to do the burn process for the evolutionaries, you can trade in your file, burn your file and get a character, awaken a character. So okay. um, it is, you know, in hindsight, I feel like we could have done something a little bit differently in terms of like link the sync directly to the characters and then done the files a little bit later. I was really wrapped up in the whole lore of the fact that um, there were two awakening events. So okay. 50% of the evolutionaries were awakened at one point, 2030, and then 50% were awakened in 2040. And it's this big energy event that accelerated the genetics, like awakened the, these alien genes. Okay. And so that's what you're doing. You get your file, which is your, your hidden alien DNA, your untapped potential. And then you awaken that at a moment and you figure out what character you get. And then you go in and tell the story about like how you realize you had powers and you know, all of that. Where were you? Right was, there, yeah. was there a disaster happening? You know, all that stuff. Now I can't help but think when you say 2030, 2040, these are not distant years. These are not distant you know, like, because I find often in our society, even with all the problems we have with, you know, climate, climate change and so forth, we kind of mentally go, ah, you know what, that's a problem for later on. But I can't help but feel like with those years you've picked, you're kind of saying, no, this is a problem that's approaching rapidly. And, you know, we need to deal with it. Would, could you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, when one of the Juju and Adventure games in the story happens in 2030, there's a superstorm in Paris that destroys the entire city. And you're actually tasked with like navigating, saving people, hiding, all that stuff. And then when you come up, you know, Paris is gone, essentially. Um, and so there is this kind of like sobering thought to the fact that like, oh, we're talking about eight years from now. Right. And then we're actually yeah. seeing superstorms happening right now, like all over as a result of the heat. So, uh, when I wrote it, it was supposed to be distant and fantastical, and but it really is just an acceleration of what we're already seeing. And even the crash, I mean, the, there's a digital currency in the world that I'm, you know, that I thought of before I knew anything really about crypto, um, because I was like, well, this market isn't sustainable. Like, of course it's going to crash. And, and the worse <laughs> the climate gets, and the worse the disasters get, the worse the harder it will be to maintain these infrastructures. So we're going to have to do a hard reset and maybe it's the QB coin, you know, and then the sync is the new device that's like gets information to everybody in real time. So we don't have people getting like left behind or yeah. So it's kind of weirdly like fiction, but not fiction. Yeah, no, I think that's what makes most good fiction interesting is when there is elements of, reality tied into it right yeah the, the, there's this question we asked in the discord we don't, i don't think we ever actually asked it but it was like which which event on the on the apocalyptic timeline is most likely to happen and it's things like um <laughs> there's this there's like the alien landing there's uh the paris yeah. superstorm there's the the giant earthquake in la in 2035 and that's probably the most probable one you know of, right. of all of all of them but it has to happen at some point, right? It has to happen at some point. That's what's terrifying about it. It's like, this is absolutely possible. We just don't know when or how we can't predict. So, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Does that, you know, when you're writing this, does it, you know, do you get caught up in kind of the worries of all these kind of impending dooms or what are your thoughts on that? It's almost like inevitability. Like it's inevitable. I just, I feel like I'm a little bit numb to the reality, like of it because it's already happened in my head. Mm. I mean, yeah. Even the storms that were happening recently, like there was a big flood in Yosemite. Um, I'm just like Miami flooding. In my story, Miami's gone. The mm. the water's all the way up to like Orlando or something. You know, that's like as far south as Florida goes anymore. Um, so it's so bizarre. I just, I, I I'm a little disconnected from the reality of it, but it's almost like I've already resigned to the fact that it's happening, like it's going to happen. Um, I don't know if you know about the countdown clock they made that they put up. No, I don't. So there's a, so there's the, um, I think it's 30, the 30 world goals. So the United Nations came together and they have these 30 goals around energy, water, and, and we need to like fix these things in a certain amount of time before they're irreversible. Right. right. So there's a countdown clock and I believe that it's seven years, meaning that after 2030, if we do not have, if we have not corrected this, 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 and this, that the damage to the earth we've done so far will be irreversible at that point. And that means mm -hmm. we're just basically spiraling toward the end. Now, this came out, I think I found out about it last year. That was way after I had started doing this. But in right. the story, there's a, there's a countdown clock and it's huge. And, and, and there's multiples and everywhere you can see it that like there are 215 days left. And every time we talk about time in this world, it's like how many, how many hours till we lose a day? Mm. And that's how, that's how it goes. So they put this countdown clock up. You can Google it. I think there's one in Times Square. And it looks a lot like how I imagined the countdown clock would look like. So how do you reconcile that with, you know, hope and empowerment and, you know, trying to make positive change? Because it seems pretty bleak. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think taking back our potential, like using our potential is like, is, is a big part of it. Um, I would say, even though I'm... Yeah, like I'm using my power to, to in my in my opinion, I'm using my power to have people be aware of like their own power, and mm -hmm. have that be the catalyst for what they go out and do in the world. Um, it could be something in environment, so it could be storytelling, it could be political, it could be, you know, um, conservation, like anything like that. So, um, but it's like reminding people, like, oh, this is something that I have in me that I haven't been using or I've been afraid to use. Let me go out and do something with it. Um, and that's the hope part is like, if we all decided to do something with what we were given or with, with, with our power or our passion, then the world would look really different, you know? Um, and that's just, that's, that's, that's where the hope comes in. And that's what you see in the characters too. Like um, if I feel like I can do that and I feel there's agency and possibility in my, in, in my, that, that I can make something happen that maybe I don't have evidence for, then that's where the hope comes in. And mm -hmm. 
when people stop using their imagination, that's when people stop think, believing things are possible. That's when people start to lose hope. So if we can keep the imagination alive, it, it opens up a lot of possibilities. Interesting. I find, you know, like at my age, in my generation, I think I'm probably a little older than you. Um, it's there's I grew up very much consumer driven culture, very much like mm -hmm. accumulate wealth, buy lots of stuff. Um, and I see like even in my own kids who are now young adults, they don't have that same. Um, how would I put it even? They don't have that same kind of voracious craving of things that I did, you know, like they're much more contented with less. And I wonder, is that a generational thing? Is that coming from, you know, them seeing my generation just being like trying to just gobble up everything in front of us and seeing that, okay, that doesn't actually make you any happier. You know, and then I wonder, like, is that our hope that, you know, the newer generations will look and go, no, I don't want to chase, you know, wealth like that. I want to live a simpler life and I don't need to be as wasteful and consume as much. You know, obviously that doesn't do so great, you know, in your heavily capitalistic uh, economies. Um, but I wonder sometimes, like, is this a generational shift that maybe can make a change in that sense? Yeah, I think... Um... I think absolutely, you know, we are going to have to learn to consume less. I mean, whether it's food, I mean, I'm sure people are thinking more clearly, more consciously about how often they drive with gas sure. prices where they are. So we have to set behaviors that equalize the, that, that balance out the system. Um, and then, you know, I've done a lot of like um, research into, uh, you know, millennial versus Gen Z and, and sentiments across brand industries. And just this call for less waste, this call for sustainability has, has like, as I guess, as we age out of certain like businesses, they're going to be looking to capture the people that are coming after and they won't if they don't change mm. their business practices right? Um, because they won't align with the values of the new customers. Um, and that's why I thought, you know, that's why I thought NFTs was so interesting because, you know, I saw, I saw this project has an opportunity to make reading fun, like fun in a gamified way, you know, right. where if you were to read, you know, certain sections or listen to them, you could collect the artifacts or the, from that section, from that story. And if you like, oh, I think the hoverboard is really cool. And then you have like a 3D version of one that you can, you know, import into a metaverse or a, some, some other kind of game me mechanism. It was like, this would be cool. Just like you could have collected ones as you read Harry Potter or the rings as you read Lord of the Rings. Like that, that was the, that, that, that was the thinking. Um, and I wanted that consumption to be easy and fun and free. Mm -hmm. But when I think about, uh, like you're talking about the consumption behavior, I, I think it bleeds over into all, even new industries, right? Like this, um, maybe there was an overconsumption of NFTs that's being equalized right now uh, by the market. I just, I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon when you look at that, right? And you look at, you know, how the market has changed. And of course, I feel like, you know, the crypto space, you know, it just moves at a faster pace, but it's still, you still see the same things happening in other spaces, right? Like, for example, 
crypto's had its massive crash, I fully expect stocks to be next. You know, like it, it happened in crypto quickly because of certain conditions that happened with Terra, USD, and all those things happening. Oh, yeah, that was uh, a but, domino. Oh, man, brutal. But I do see the same thing happening. I mean, people will say, you know, oh, look at how badly crypto is doing. It's like, look around you. <laughs> I mean, there's not many elements of the economy that are doing well right now, right? It just tends to be exaggerated in the crypto space because of the, like you mentioned, it, the lower liquidity. Yeah. And the sentiment, and I know people are always looking for a reason why crypto was incredible or why NFTs are a scam and all this stuff. And uh, so whatever evidence you can drum up for that, you know, you're going to use it. And the rapid crash, I mean, we're talking, you know, a month uh, from where crypto was in the middle of May to where it is now. It's like, I mean, it, it went from what, three, almost 3,000 or maybe 2,700 down to nine like 900 yeah two-thirds yeah. fall yeah so i mean I, the stock market crashing isn't going to make people afraid to invest in stocks so i don't understand right. why crypto crashing would make people afraid to invest in crypto very good point yes that's a very good point yeah um I, what's that expression you know when the stock markets when markets are going up it's like taking the stairs but when they're crashing it's like taking an elevator isn't something the saying's a little oh, more well, that's elegant a good one. that's that, a really good one right? that's a really good one it, there there is a more elegant way of saying that but it helps to recognize that that's just the way these markets move right like yeah that's just the nature of it because people panic and um yeah um it's it's interesting to see how you know that carries over into projects right like because when you do have a great project, like this project's taken a ton of work and development, you know, and then you just arrive at that launch. And if you're not there just at the right time, it can be really tough, right? So like, what's your longer term outlook for this? Because of course you can't just be focused on like, you know, June 25th. I mean, June 25th is important, but like, what's your long-term outlook for uh, Lost Children of Andromeda? Yeah, we've been talking about that a lot internally. Uh, in terms of outlook, it's, you know, Let's build a runway to mm -hmm. kind of survive the bear market and keep building. I want to shift to a more surprise and delight mechanism with the community um, where we start to, you know, release airdrops and claims and stuff like that for engagement um, versus, you know, uh, kind of this uh, consumer mechanism where we're like doing drops based on buys and stuff like that. Um, the next two books, you know, to come out build a community of i would say 50 to 100,000 and then go to a publisher and say hey publish this book you know globally global mm -hmm. distribution and you'll see some you know you'll see some traction and then the value of you know the entire uh, ecosystem goes up based on that so we already have that in real world tie in it's it's now connecting it to like okay, then we're going to roll out a whole new set of digital assets that are associated with those books, you know, as we continue on with the story. Um, and then, yeah, so that's, that's like the long-term goal. The long-term goal is that we, we collectively build this intellectual property. Um, we'll have the main books, we'll have them kind of supported by our partners and people that we are in relationship with. And then we'll also foster storytelling within the community through the anthologies and then, um, the collaborations where characters can end up in the main lore um 
and then just general you know general storytelling like people telling stories mm -hmm, in discord mm -hmm. and and all of that so for people who are interested in this project where would you say they should be starting with the reading would it be with um, 2052 time and salvation or should they yeah. be going back to some earlier pieces that you've written i don't want to talk about the earlier pieces uh no, no? <laughs> we had this conversation before we started recording there is a book out there i'm not even going to say the name of it but there's a book out there that i, I believe think I've is got like it right here on amazon Seventy five. <laughs> how, how, how how much is it how much is it uh there's a hardcover for 43.39 here oh, that's that's Zosma probably that's yes. Zosma. there's another book that i think okay is 70, okay okay 75 dollars on amazon okay, because it's I out of print so oh okay so... i only see the two i see Zosma and i see 2052 okay good okay 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 so Zosma is we did a print run of that you can't get it anywhere <laughs> so that's okay. why it's 43 dollars. and then the other one is out of print because it's it's turned off so you can't you can't print new new copies of it so there are these two books out there that i wrote before i really knew what i was doing and they were that's you know, part of your history though it's, you know right, there's, no, no, right. Sh there's no shame in that no 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 they're just very public what i consider public failures especially if you look at the reviews of the first one the reviews oh, no. of the first one <laughs> make you want to go home and get a job. Um, <laughs> but that's but, natural. Uh, that's the uh, evolution yeah. as a writer. Right? Of course, of course. So yeah. that's that. That's how I was paralleling it too with like the launch. It's like, yeah, we did all the. I did. I did a ton of work for the. You know, for the first book. So I just <laughs> didn't do it right. <laughs> well, and, how old were you when you wrote that first book? Um, that book I put out in 2016. So I wasn't okay. Okay, not long. that long ago then. Okay, yeah, not that long so ago. you've developed as a writer like significantly then in that short span of time. I would say yes. See, so you should be proud of that. Why would you be? I don't know. I don't think there's any shame in that personally. I, mean, I would love for someone to go back and read that first book and then read this. This but you won't 20, say what 2050 I won't say what the name of it is. <laughs> I, I had I had one of my friends um, that follow me on that they follow me on Instagram. They actually found the the book okay. and bought it. And okay, they're like, we want to have all the books no matter what you know what they say or whatever um because well, it's a part of you it's if yeah. you know if they're enjoying your writing they want to see your evolution yeah yeah so it's it's it's, it's the same thing as an artist when i look at some of my art from when i was starting in the space there's some of it that i'm like i should just burn that i should just delete that but i've left yeah because some of my there. earlier pieces like on open sea that are just there's some of them are never even sold like they're just sitting there and i'm like you know what it's what i was doing at that time and Mm. No, I've grown, right? That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how common it is. You know, what I had been told about Web three, and and I and I came in into it as an independent artist, right? So I was more running in those circles last year when I was doing yeah. all the things I was doing, Met, Met, Metaverse Jazz Festival and Bitcoin Miami with NFTs tips. But uh, that's who I, that's how, that's how I kind of came into the space. It was all independent artists. And then when I started to learn about the drop model and everything like that, what I kept hearing was that there was no room for forgiveness in that ecosystem mm. where it's like a one shot deal. And if you lose it, no one's going to come back around. They're not going to revisit your project. It's like it's done. So when we were when we were launching and it wasn't going well, I was like, oh, this is it. Right. Like, like this, is the, this is the end. We um, blew it. Um, <laughs> We, yeah, we blew it, like all that work and like nothing. And it's like, it's over. Um, but then, you know, people on the team were just like reminding, we were reminding each other that like, 
we're I'm still gonna write books. Like sure. there's this whole other world that is attached to the NFTs that is not beholden to their success. Um, but you know, we want to figure out a way to make it successful. And I don't think that honestly, it's right now with crazy mint prices and um, yeah, cra- crazy mint prices with super high um, collection counts. It's low mint prices or zero mint prices with high collection counts. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You know, that seems to be the successful formula now. Yeah. And yeah, we'll see how the CRA works. It's more accessible too, right? Like it's more, yeah. you're going to have uh, a more accessible, more people will be able to access the content. Yeah, absolutely. Which is absolutely. crucial. Right. So very interesting. What are you writing right now? I have two books open. I'm trying to I'm trying to publish two and three at the same time. So oh, one wow. is a re, one is a rewrite of Zazma, which is the one you saw. Oh, okay. And then one is the book that comes in between oh. 2050Z and Zazma. Okay. No, no So no writing two books at the yet. same time, surely you must sometimes get mixed up between the two as you're working. No, they're very different stories. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, they're very different stories. Okay. So okay. I just have to. I already know what. I already know what happens in between. In between the two, so I'm like, okay, I know what I'm writing. It'll probably be. It won't. It won't be that long. And then Zosma's like, we go the aliens and stuff. It gets really crazy. Okay. Okay. So interesting. And so the rewrite. Does it change the storyline, or is it just that you're kind of mm, refining it? I would say it refines and enhances it. The, the yeah. things will happen similarly, but it'll be a different experience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Think that, huh. Yeah. Right on. Well, hey, it's really interesting talking with you. I want to wish you all the best on this uh, sync launch happening on June twenty fifth. Yes. And uh, it's really great to talk to you again. Thank you. I'm really excited for Sync. I'm excited for the community to get their hands on Sync. And then we started teasing the characters and they look amazing. So I think it'll be, you know, we're in it for the long haul. So awesome. we'll, we'll be okay. Right on. Okay. Well, hey, thanks again and uh, have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to the Non-Fungible Podcast. See you again soon.